And give it up for Josh and Bryce. Come on, y'all. Don't you be November sleepy bears on me. You ain't had turkey yet. You know what I'm saying? Hey, if you're wondering what this video shenanigans about, every year, it might be the longest elevation tradition we have. I'm talking 10 years. We have this thing in December called the Cheesy Christmas Sweater Party, CCSP. Some people like to say Cheesy Sweater Christmas Party. Some people like to say Cheesy Party for Christmas Sweaters. And it's, no, 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 no. Cheesy Christmas Sweater Party, CCSP. Okay, so you got to dress up in your best cheesy Christmas sweater. It's December 3rd, but hey, why not celebrate Christmas 22 days early? You know what I mean? I don't know why you have to wait. Jesus is, was born, and we're not going to wait. You know, it's going to be amazing. So that's what that was about. I found one last year. It has a gremlin on it, on the front of it, and it's a sweater, and it's made for Christmas. It was $89. I couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah. It was $89 for a gag it's gift. Probably, I, just, I couldn't do it. Probably a good choice. Probably. You wouldn't have had gas for three I weeks. I regret it now, though. I wish or if I you're my car, one week. <laughs> oh, it's a gas guzzler. Okay. We're going to scrap the competition. Y'all weren't filming the competition, so no one's going to win a prize. Very sad. Because the prize was amazing. But it's never too late to apologize. That's what the song says. I got y'all. Okay. Nope. Okay. No stand-up comedy at Elevation. It's fine. Okay. Hey, we got a very special guest. If you're new or you don't know this man, I'm, I'm lowering. I'm lowering. Do you see this? I'm not. No hands. I'm not sure what to do with my hands. It's a little Ricky Bobby. Happy Thanksgiving. I went from 5'10 to 5'2. Got to stay away from that stovetop. Stuffing. Yeah. Just the whole <laughs> I had some stuffing. It's still going. It's you want still... me to go over <laughs> go, I'll go here. Free. Are you playing You're a joke good. on me? Is there a remote? It's like when... Sorry, guys. I'm very happening? distracted. What is happening It's like when right your now? lower body's moving, but your upper body's up here. You uh, like you're the kid table. Because that's how it shows. Okay, hey, guys. <laughs> kids table. Hey, fun fact. Persian family. We didn't have a kids table. We had a kids mat. And so they would put this Persian mat. I promise. Yeah, I promise. So I promise. So we'd every time we go to a family thing, it's like the adult table, which is the normal table, and all the kids are around these mats. And you might eat with your hands. Don't judge me. And so when y'all laugh, it's like, the table? I get to sit at the table? So if you have foreign parents, maybe you know what I'm talking about. And then it's cool, guys. But you just fold up the mat. My mom would just shake it outside. It's clean. No vacuuming. Yeah, write that down for your future family. Here Hello. It comes. Here it comes. You got it. Oh, thank you. Here. Let me upgrade you. Yeah. Oh, hey. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I've always wanted to be six foot. I've, I've asked the Lord, and he still hasn't made that happen. But pray without ceasing, uh, so the Bible says. Ceasing. I said that last time. I'm so sorry. Okay, we got to get on. Hey, hey. Happy Elevation, guys. We have a good night. Very... We love you guys. See you next week. Kiddo, yeah. We're going to do one more song, and worship. Oh we'll call you later. Gosh. If this is your first time, you're like, what the heck ministry is this? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm so sorry. You can have laugh in church, I promise. This was an icebreaker. Neil, it went great. Wow. A good icebreaker. It good. All right. It was really good. It's good. It's good. You didn't want the knuckles. No, no, I didn't like giving the knuckles. Nope. If you're wondering who this young gentleman next to me is, this is our Conway Pastor Neil Greyhouse. Will you all please give honor, Pastor Neil? Come on. What? It's a big deal. And Neil loved you guys a lot. Um, Neil, will you kind of give them the vision of the remix we're going to do today? Why me and you are both standing up here? Not From this point forward, the remix. Yeah, so free. Start the recording now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Now is when we record. Some people are going to listen to the podcast. I was like, what the heck was All the right. first four minutes We're of out that? of the chair. I'm out of the chair? No rules. No rules. Uh, so here's, I, I had this thought a while back, and if you hang out with Pastor Rick long enough, I actually have this document on Google Docs. Anybody use Google Documents? Yeah, it's incredible. And it's Holla. free. Okay. F-R-E-E. -E. So the... I have this document, it's called Language of the House. Lydia Cazell and a few other people up in our creative department, they started a while back, and I have my own. And every time Pastor Rick says something, or we're in the Q&A session or whatever, and he does something, I started realizing, why don't I ask him more? Because I'm just like a sponge. He's talking about things, and I go, 
okay, I, I think I understand what that means, but if I don't ask him the next question, sometimes it's just lost on me. But I'm putting all this stuff away in a document. I'm trying to learn from it. And I have certain people in my life over the years who have done the other 10% of the conversation that I've always wanted to know. Like someone who will give you the advice that no one else is willing to say. It's almost like you need someone in your life who's going to say the hard details, the hard facts or whatever. Just cut to it. Just tell me what's going on. I want to know what should I do in this situation? What should I do in that situation? A lot of times we kind of, we give the 90% where we're satisfied with that, but I want the other 10% of the conversation. So I had this thought of, you know, there are a lot of things I wish I knew in ministry. I wish I knew in my family. We have three kids, my wife, Gina, and I. We've been here in Conway for almost eight years. And there are things that I wish I knew about ministry that I'm just learning now. And so the general thought of this was, if there are questions that you guys have about ministry, about life, about raising a family, about how do you balance all this stuff out, what if we could just talk about that now and maybe that would help? So we, we basically did that. We said, let's, let's answer some questions. Yeah? Yeah. So Neil just wanted um, just to kind of do this spontaneous Q&A, and, uh, which is a big deal. And Neil's heart was, hey, I, you know, I'm your pastor. I'm a little farther along, and all of us in this kind of young adulthood season. I got a couple questions before this, and we're going to answer some of those. Um, but free production team, if you'll put up the slide, we actually have a number that you can text in Please let that be his, his TVT from, it's not the, ah, oh, dang it. Okay, I keep waiting for that one slide when he called You're for You're not going to see my picture. I keep waiting for that picture to go up there. Juicy press. Come on, that guy right there. Yeah. See that? 183 Aww. weeks ago, eventually, no love. Eventually. Aww. That's an incredible picture. <laughs> you have like six or seven See, guys, when, I, when, yeah. when I was throwback was like I was in college when Instagram started, so it couldn't be high school pics like most of you guys. But this is, wow. see the train suspenders cloud? I was pretty cute back then. <laughs> He's on change. the mat. He's on the mat right things, next to the, the table's right next to him. Um, Okay, we can take that off anytime. That's anytime. not what I... There's the number. Sorry. Okay. It worked. Hey, so at any time, if you have a question for Pastor Neil, we're going we're gonna to go through some questions we already had submitted by some people. And this is life, guys. This is, hey, Pastor Neil, if you're in my shoes, wisdom, uh, school, work, family, transition, anything you might have a question for Pastor Neil about, we're going to answer a lot of these questions that we had previously. And then me and Neil are going to do this thing about halfway through in about 15 minutes. We like to call lightning round. And yeah. uh, So we'll, we will get to as many as we possibly can. Uh, a lot of times... A limit on something makes it a little bit better. Instead of rambling on and on and on for 45 minutes over one question, we will go for about the last 10 or 15 minutes, and we'll 60-second clock on every one of the questions. We will get to as many as we possibly can and just make it a little bit more spicy. Yeah, so like crunchy. a really long... Like a crunchy. Crunchy would be good. I like word. crunchy tacos more word. than soft. That's a lie. I probably like soft. But uh, 60 seconds. If you've ever seen the sports show PTI... You give him 60 seconds. It's going to be kind of like that. If you're going like, what the heck does that mean? Don't worry about it. It's, I'm sorry. It's going to be fine. I wasted your 14 seconds. Go. Tony, Tony okay, first question. Y'all ready, Freddies? This is just wisdom for you guys. I hope you guys take some notes. Um, this was a question I was sent earlier today. I asked some of our leaders and some, some people who serve and things like that. Um, first question. How do you balance growing in your personal relationship with God while also working full-time, raising a family, having other priorities also? Where's the... Okay. Uh, I heard Pastor Rick say something the other day about a, uh, a guy in ministry that he has not missed a quiet time in 40 years, one day in his life for the last 40 years. And I think about that and I think, why? Well, I'm going to quit right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> done. Ya. I'm out. Because the pace of life and the, and the schedule and, and everything that's going on, sometimes it is very tricky. And we're trying to figure out what is the right way to balance life, but also putting your spiritual relationship first. How do you do that? 
This is very important, and I'm learning this the hard way, is you have to honor God with the time that you do have. He knows what your schedule is. He knows what your pace is. So somebody was talking about how they got a job over in Little Rock, and they're ticked off about it because they're stuck in the car for 30 minutes. That is actually a blessing. You have 30 minutes in the car. You could put music on. You could put a, a podcast on. You can do whatever. Take full advantage of the time that you do have. Your quiet times, then, they will evolve. We might be getting into another one or here. I don't know. Which one are we on here? This is number one. A growing relationship with a lot going on full-time it's, family. Yeah, there's, so here's, here's... It's good. This one is actually going to come down to... So we have three kids. They're all at very different stages of school. Um, I've been married for 20 years. And I'm realizing that there is no perfect way to do this, and it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. So instead of trying to keep my quiet time separate from what life I'm living with my, with my kids or with my job or with what I'm doing, I try and bring it all together. So there are teaching moments. There are moments where uh, one of my kids might be going through something. Take that time to figure out how you're going to teach them. Some of you guys don't have kids. It's, you're going to get there to a point where you're going to figure out, how do I balance this in with everything else? Your quiet times do not, you shouldn't get so rigid with that time and think, I'm going to block off this and nothing is ever going to bump up against that. You should protect the time that you do have, but honor God with the time that you have. It's about quality, not necessarily about quantity. And here's what that means. If you have 10 minutes, make that the best 10 minutes that you have with God and do not beat yourself up over it. If you are having more victories than you are defeats, if you are spending more time with him now than you were two years ago, then you're doing a whole lot better off. You may be in a really busy time for a while, but if that means that you have five minutes in the car, put one song on and just worship your face off for a little while before you get out and go do whatever's next. People will walk by you. I've done it in a, in a parking lot, and they're like, they're, what in the world is that guy? I mean, I'm literally, I'm just screaming my lungs out in a car for a while. And then you, you turn it off, you get out and walk out, and you're like, why is he so sweaty? He just, he just had a quiet time. <laughs> You just have to take the time that you've got. Now, there are other times where I am studying and prepping. I'll I'll give you this thought. Pastor Rick said it two weeks ago, and I don't know if he really got into the details of it, but I learned something from him. He said he has a quiet time that is separate from the way Michelle has a quiet time. The two of them actually go off to separate sides of the house, and they have a quiet time together. I do it differently than the way Gina does it. It's very different. But then Pastor Rick, after he's done getting quiet time for himself, He then goes to another part of the house and prays for ministry. They're separate. Your ministry and your relationship with God are separate. You cannot get anything out of what you're doing ministry-wise for you. you got to get something for God for you, and then you can get something from God for somebody else. Does that make sense? Is that it? Okay. Yeah, boom. We're going to go to the next one. You all with us? This is going to be good. What advice would you give your 20 to 30-year-old college young adult self? Oh, uh, at, at, uh, so I'm, I'm 42. Holy crap, that hurts to say it. I would have taken more risks at 20 years old than, than what I, I am now. When you get married, you can't take as many risks. I've got three kids. A risk right now risks the future of three children and my wife. You don't have as much to risk right now, and you just, you just don't know it. So what I would have done is I would have prayed Bigger prayers, and I would have dreamed a whole lot bigger. I would have gone after the ridiculous. I would have thrown the schedule away during the summer, and I would have gone on a mission trip for two months. I would have done whatever I could to, to kind of get it out of my system to figure out what it is I'm supposed to do. I would risk things. I wouldn't put myself in a financial risk, but I would have tried really, really hard to make sure that I was going after something that was so audacious that if God wasn't involved in it, I never would have gotten, I never would have gotten to it. 
So it's that whole work really hard on it as if you're the only one that's going to get it done, but pray as if God is the only one that's going to get it done. That balance between the two I would have done in my 20s and 30s. Once you get married, you cannot take those same kind of risks. You just can't. You can't do it to your wife. Um, And then from that point on, you have to have you have to be in alignment with your spouse. And if the two of you don't agree that that risk is worth taking, then you just don't do it. You're not going to be able to do anything apart from your spouse after that. So that is a part of the two of you becoming one. So you realize now you're ready to throw everything away to go do something that's crazy. Start a business, go try something, go get more education, go change your job, whatever that is. I would have definitely taken bigger risks at 20. It's not as big as a risk as you think it is. Please understand that. It is not as big of a risk as you think it is right now. Because I look back at it, and I go, oh, I definitely could have done those things. I, w- I would have done them. Okay? Mm, it's great. It's great. This is, a, this is a big one for me, and I think you guys are really right. Uh, in this stage of life, as beginning to make our own decisions, how do I still honor my parents but have the ability to make decisions, especially when we differ in opinion? So honoring your parents. You guys are all in this, in this place. You're in an age where honoring your parents doesn't necessarily mean obeying them, but you still have to honor them. If your parents tell you not to go do something, you should definitely honor them and listen to it. Tell them you appreciate their opinion, but you do get to make your own choices. You're past the age of accountability. But you can make the wrong decision and dishonor your parents at the same time, or you can make the wrong decision and honor your parents while you're doing it. So what you do is um, honor comes away. uh, If all of your conversation and all of your honoring moments are around big decisions or abrasive moments or harsh topics, they're all going to be really tense moments. So what I would do is this. Honoring your parents is giving them updates on how your life is going. Honoring your parents is sending them a text saying, hey, um, I'm having a hard time in school with this class. Would you pray for me? Honoring your parents might be a picture of you and your friends of something you guys just went and did. Honoring your parents might just be checking on your parents and asking how they're doing. Your relationship changes at this point. You're off, you're in college, you're a young adult, and your relationship has changed. How do you navigate that? It doesn't mean that you have to ask them questions about everything that you're going to do. You don't necessarily have to obey everything, but at least ask them for it. But also know that you have the choice to make your own decision, but don't do it in a way that you're going to say, it's almost like, don't do it, and then afterwards they're going, well, why did you even ask me? You just ask them because you want to know what they think is best, but then you still get to go do whatever you think it is you're supposed to do. And if you make a mistake, come back and tell them, you're right. You were right. I should have listened to you, and, and you're going to keep going from there. That's, um, you know, finances, it's, it's a little trickier, too. If they're, finan- if they're paying for college or they're paying for your rent for your apartment or whatever it is, it's a little trickier. And if your parents are the, the type that tend to manipulate, be very, very careful about that. You still honor them. Tell them you love them, even if they're not being a perfect parent. I promise you, I've made more mistakes with my own kids right now, and I'm going, oh, gosh, I don't know if they're ever going to honor me. Make sure that you honor them. You speak highly of them. You don't trash them in the process, but um, you get to still make your own decisions. Does that answer that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. Is that helpful? It's good. Um, This one would be good because y'all stinking love talking about relationships. It's just so much fun. As a man or woman of God, Neil, what should I be doing now to prepare for my future marriage and family? So some people in here, most people in here are single or dating. Some are engaged or married. But of the most people, most of the people in here don't also have a family yet. Um, But what would you say to that? How can we prepare now? Uh, That scripture, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. A lot of times um, we think that that is a do this to get this kind of a, uh, of a scripture, and it's not necessarily. 
if you put your relationship, if you were looking to get married, you got to know that God probably has someone out there for you. He may have the right person that's out there for you. But if you are so fixated on that person and having that relationship and you put that relationship before your relationship with God, it's going to be off balance. What I would do is in your single years, even in your dating years, put your relationship with God at a higher point than what you put that relationship with the other person. Because if if that person gets a higher spot than what God does, it's, it is completely out of balance. And you actually are not able, and they are not able to fulfill what God can only do for you. So seek ye first the kingdom of God. I would just say in, in the years when you're single, be very selfish with your relationship with God. You're, it's okay. I say get greedy with your time with God. Put that first. Make sure most of your time goes there as opposed to going out with somebody else. Um, if you haven't developed some spiritual habits when you are single, it is very, very difficult to do it when you are dating, engaged, and married. If uh, The same thing could be said for some deep secrets that you have on the inside of you. This is not part of the question, but if there are some things that are rooted deep inside of you and you have not taken care of them before you get engaged and married, married does not cancel what is going on on the inside of you if you have some sin that you're struggling with. In fact, all it does is bring the other person into it. Take care of that before you get engaged. Take care of that before you get married. That's not, a, that's not magic. It's a covenant that God's hand is on your marriage, and it, it, those things in your life don't necessarily go away. I would focus on your relationship with God first and make sure that, um, that that's very strong before you get there. Here's, here's the person that, that you want to marry. The person you want to marry is the person that when you look to the right or the left, they are going after God just as much as you are. You don't want to look and see that there is slack in their rope. You know that God's given you a dream. God's given them a dream. Hopefully those two line up. And as you're going after God, you don't want to feel like you've got to pull that person along with you. If you do for a time, it's okay. But you want to be going after God and look to your right and know that they're going after God just as much as you are. If you can get that, there's no, there is no limit to what God can do in your lives. Absolutely none whatsoever. It's very tricky, though, when, when that relationship with that person gets out of balance. Boom. Oh, no, that, that's great. We appreciate that. We're, we're going to move on. I, I checked the lightning round ones. They're, they're getting fiery. This oh. is really good. This is a good one, though. Um, you know, what, is the, what is your process for evaluating big decisions in life? What do, you, what, do you, what do you do from the beginning to end, making those decisions, not only spiritually but practically? So you have any transition, any big decision, whether it's job, whether it's dating, whether it's uh, moving, how do you make big decisions like that in life? You never make one of those big decisions by yourself. Always ask for a wise person's advice. Be careful who you ask. If you do not respect that person, if they do not have wisdom, don't ask the person for advice just because you know they are going to give you the advice that you want. It's not advice. They're just helping you get to wherever it is you really wanted. So ask a wise person. The Bible says very clearly that we can pray and ask for wisdom. I would also do that. So first of all, find someone that you can ask. Second, pray and ask for wisdom. God says he will freely give you wisdom. He says, call out and ask for it. But wisdom will literally have a voice that will lead you. I also, when I'm praying about a situation, God is not a God of confusion. If if I could write that in concrete, I would. God does not operate in confusion. He is not a God who speaks in a confusing tone, and he'll never lead you in a confusing way. If you are confused, it is not him. 
Never move forward if you are confused about something. You only move through peace. The Bible says that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That literally means there is a barrier around your heart which will keep it pure, but also any attack of the enemy will actually be thwarted because of peace. Now, peace sounds like a passive word. It is not. Peace is one of the strongest words you could ever imagine. Peace is an active word. Peace is actually a weapon, and it is guarding your mind. So move in peace, follow peace, but if you don't hear a yes or a no, and you're not hearing one negative thing or a positive thing, start moving in a direction. The longer you stay in one space, the more difficult it is to take that first step. If you hear something wrong, if all of a sudden the whole world falls apart after you start walking towards something, if it's a job and you're trying to figure out what it is, start moving toward it. You will know after a little while. I, I, my, first, my first job was at Wendy's, and I lasted 42 seconds. 42 seconds I clocked in. I knew it was not of God. It just wasn't. And certain situations came up, and, and, I, and I clocked out. I never have cashed in on that check with interest. I'm sure it's worth millions right now. It's not. It's not even worth 20 cents. The, the mistake that a lot of us make is we go, God, what do you want me to do? Speak to me. God, speak to me. God, speak to me. Where is God going to speak to you first? In his word. If you're waiting for an audible from God, you're going to be waiting a very, very long time. I say get an audible from God from his word and start to move towards something. If it's wrong, you will know. Someone, that wise person, will come tell you this is not right. Things will start to fall apart. And if that does, it's not a mistake. You move back to that spot of prayer, and then you go another direction. I don't have regrets about some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made because I learned something from them. And you got to ask yourself, in this time, what am I supposed to learn? So, yes, it might be a difficult move. You made it. I don't know, but that's, that's what I would do. That's great. I, I want to ask this question just, I think, as pastors sometimes, when it comes to our relationship with God, I know you touched on it earlier, sometimes we can be perceived as perfect or we, we just knocking it out of the park. They know we're not perfect. <laughs> yeah, uh, or just our one time. So this question said, what does your quiet time look like? But specifically, is it always the same? Neil, do you have to change it up? Are there distractions involved? And if you could just kind of coach us on, because I know you've told me a lot, hey, Amir, I'll have this quiet time, and then four months I need to remix a little. And it's like, wow, I've never yeah. thought about that. <sighs> what, what relationship do you have that is a routine? I don't know of any of them that are thriving. I don't have any relationships that are thriving that are routine. The relationships that I have that are thriving, they're constantly evolving. There are times where you're going to need to spend more time in worship. If your quiet time has to change and evolve from morning to all of a sudden your schedule changes and you need it at nighttime, look, if I'm going to fight for a relationship with my wife and our schedules are off a little bit in the morning, I'm going to fight to have that time with her in the evening. Why would your relationship with God be any different? It has to evolve. Sometimes... It could be quiet time in the morning. One of the best things that I say is it is absolutely about the quality, not about the quantity. It may be one scripture, and what I'll do is I will literally go over that scripture, and I'll I'll go through four different translations, and I will read it until I hear something from God. I will pray, and I will move on. You might think that that 10 minutes doesn't seem like a quiet time. Who is measuring that? If it was a heart connection with God, God can speak to you in seconds, Why is it that we feel like we've got to have four or five hours? Now, there are days where I will absolutely sit down and block out an hour, and I'm going to do some worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to study. I'm going to study for me. I'm going to go over my calendar. I'm going to pray for somebody else. They always evolve. It is constantly changing. When we had kids, it changed. I was up. We were up at the crack of dawn. My wife, God bless her, I don't know how she slept. There there are blocks of our life that we've blacked out. We don't even remember what happened. All of a sudden, our kids are older. Like, what, what happened? 
You just figure out a way to do it in that time. If it's on the way to school, put a song in, listen to it. <laughs> it's terrible. So I, I choose, for some reason, I don't know, if every, I, I like to go to UCA's uh, Starbucks. I don't know why. I just like to walk around and say hi to people. And we're like, what's that old guy doing over here? Why is he getting star- Starbucks? Non-trad. I'm like, <laughs> good but I love to just put music in and walk around, and I'm praying for you guys while I'm there. There are people that I'll go meet over at Hendrix, and as I'm walking around the campus, I'm literally there praying for them, but I've just got music going. You go spend any time. Go, go spend time in New York City. Go spend time in San Francisco. Go to L.A. Almost every person on the subway in Chicago, what do they have going on? They have music going. Why? It sets the tone and the atmosphere, and you can make a choice to set the tone and the atmosphere for the rest of your day by just changing what you listen to. And if it's one song, just put that in and change the tone and the atmosphere of what's going on for the rest of the day. That's what I do. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's what I do. Okay, I think and I, gonna... I, can I say this? I'm not perfect. Listen, if you Amen. think for one second, because I'm standing up here on this stage means that I've got it figured out, I promise you that's not true. You just, you got always, it's the small incremental change. If your relationship with God is not growing, then push in a little bit harder. Pastor Rick says it. It's like if, you, if, you, if your worship was you just love to have your hands in your pockets, take one hand out of your pocket next time. Dear Lord, that is going to be a huge step in the right direction. If it was that you have one hand out, and you put both of them out. If you've never lifted your hands before, get, a, get this. Do, do one of these. Do a hey. Do, I don't know what you need to do, but in the same thing with your relationship with God in your quiet time, just say, God, what do you want me to get out of this? I want to get, I want to get a little bit further today. And you want to look back, write down what he is telling you. In my office, I have stacks. There are eight. There are eight notebooks of things that he's told me over the past few years, and I'll go back and look at it and go, oh, my gosh, you were getting me ready for something here that I didn't even know. And I look for, four years later, it still applies and it still matters. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, boom. I love you. That's so good. I, I had a once a pastor tell me a year ago, and I'm still, I haven't figured it out. He said, you, I simplify it. You just need a time and a place, and that can change. But find a time, find a place, find your place. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And you just kind of figure that out. And yeah, in three months, that might look different. Guys, y'all are about to come on, and I've been praying about this a lot for y'all. Next week might look completely different because you might be home. When you, if you're a caution, whatever, whatever Christmas looks like, whether it's one day if you're young at all, a couple days or a month, that's going to look different because you're not here. You're not in an apartment. You're not in your home. You're with your family, or you're with extended family, or you're visiting friends, whatever. And so it's just a time and a place. we got to figure it out. But I think sometimes we got to plan for that. Okay, we're going to go lightning round. Lightning round. Y'all said some 60 inc- seconds is that we're doing free? We've seen some incredible right. questions. I don't know what to pick. You got a car pick. horn for us? Neil, there's a lot of different yeah. kind of questions. I don't know if... Um, you just go. It doesn't matter. This one's funny. I just like it, and I have a lot of... Uh, that one's really personal to you. These are just the first page. Do you like that one? <laughs> okay, let's do this one right above it first. Okay, the, f- the first one is this lightning round. It says, how did the Lord lead you and your family to move to Arkansas, Neil? Okay. Uh, where are we at? 60? Oh, gosh. And tell them where you're from, because some people might not Here's know you're the, from. Okay, <gasps> so we're from Northeast Ohio. I grew up near... I grew up... I was born in Akron, Ohio, same hospital LeBron James uh, was, was born in. Can't stand the guy. We came here... <laughs> Because I had a problem in my life. I owned a business, and we were trying to figure out how to do ministry, and I was ready to give ministry up so I can go into business and finance the gospel. And here's what we decided. I came here, visited one time, and I realized that there's something out there that is bigger than what I want. And what God said to me while we were here is, Neil, you are the one who is wrong because you keep going to different places trying to get them to do it your way. And what you need to do is be humble and you need to go get involved in what someone is already doing, someone that is already doing something that is already blessed, and I will then bless you. Fifteen. But if you keep going around trying to do your own thing and asking somebody to come your direction, 
you are wrong, they are not. And I said, I will go to Arkansas. I want to get involved in what they're doing. Four and, seconds, and walk off. And that is how we got to Arkansas. Oh, <laughs> there's a beep. I just got a little Whoa, nervous. Oh, we're already on the clock again? Okay. All right. Oh, hold on. Okay, this one's good. We get two get out of jail frees, too, as well, just so you know. Amir has one, and I have one. We yeah, I hate more than jail. a minute. I hate it. Never going back. Sorry, right. that's another story. Uh, whoa. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, just, can we cut that out? Of the zing. Just kidding. All right. Always be Oklahoma's recording, crazy. right? This one is going to set up a second one. I like this. Uh, what is your advice for moving beyond just holy living and going through the motions to putting what we know to be true of God and Jesus into action? It's almost like if someone's growing up in church, or maybe like me, you didn't, but it's like we can sometimes go through the motions, show up here, show up there. And how do we, I think what it's saying is put our faith into action. Um, and just living right, don't do this, don't do that. Okay. How does it come into it? So for me, this comes down to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is very simply boiled down to love God, love others. You cannot fake your relationship with God if you are active in your faith. You cannot go through the motions if you are out trying to reach the next person, if you are trying to bring someone to elevation with you, if you are trying to witness to somebody where you're at. The only way that it will get stagnant, the only way that it will get stale in your walk with God is if you have no outlet. If you're not active in your faith and you've been building this thing up for years, what happens is the milk starts to sour after a while. Now you've got cottage cheese. It's just gross. It starts to get really weird when you don't have a chance to actually give what God has given you. God gives seed to the sower because he knows that the sower will put it into the ground and go into somebody else's life. You'll be stuck for the rest of your life until you get this one concept. If you're just loving God, it's not enough. He's called us to love others. Whoa. All right. Boom. This one's really good. I, I love this a lot, and I think sometimes as a church we miss this, especially we can do this as elevation. How do you confront your Christian friends about living worldly lives? Okay. You cannot confront other people with just your words because you only produce what you are, not what you say. You can't confront anyone else if you are not living a good example in front of them. Your actions speak louder than words. So if you were telling someone and calling them out on the way that they are living, but you yourself are not living a life that is honorable, not perfect, your words will do more damage than they will good. So the best way to do it is to be open and honest with them and tell them that you are not perfect yourself, but you see something in their life that ultimately not you think it is wrong, but it is holding them back from a relationship with God that he's designed them for. And this is the key. Speak to their potential. Don't speak to where they are. Speak to what you see that God has put in them, and you've got to see that. And the only way you can see that is if you are praying for them. If you pray for them first and you sit down face-to-face and you say, listen, you could be slipping up big time. I don't have a right to call it out, but God wants more for you. That's the way you do it. Boom. Now, I feel like we need a sweat rag up here. Even though this I'm air can, pitting. I'm pitting right bit, now. Pastor got a new vent, right. and it blows out Woo! a nice 54 degrees. So if you see me it right now. doing a shimmy, I'm not you. dancing. I'm just cold. Um, I like this one just because this is kind of the heart of our church in some ways. It says, Neil, how do you fix or repair feeling burnt out by church and God? And I'm just going to add one to this question, or being hurt by the church or someone, a believer. What would you do in that situation? Burnt, hurt. By church. Are you saying burned out by the church or burnt? It says burnt out of church and God. Okay. But I, I would like to throw a double if that's allowed, yeah. burnt by the church. Um, okay, if you are burned out, it's, the, only reason, the only reason why somebody gets burned out is they are outworking their relationship with God. 
So they're working harder than what they're spending time with God. The only reason why you ever start serving in the first place is because you love Jesus and you cannot wait to make the church stronger and better. That's the only reason why you start serving. If at some point you have to step back and go, why am I even doing this? Then maybe work more on your relationship with him. If you are burned by the church because people have made a mistake, I want you to know this. There is no church on this road, let alone this one, that is perfect. We are all filled with people who make mistakes, and we're going to make big ones. I have flat-out hurt people, and I've had to beg God to forgive me and to heal their heart. And the reason why people make big, huge decisions about theology and doctrine is not because of the Scripture. It's because of the people that have hurt them in their past. So here's, if you've been hurt by someone in the church, it's got to come down to forgiveness. At some point, you got to go, who hurt me? Can you go tell them that, and can you forgive them? You may not even have a chance to tell them. It might have been somebody way, way, way in your past. You've got to be able to forgive, or else that hurt gets so deep-seated that it's bitterness. And here's the truth. This happened in my family. We church hopped for 10 years, and I wondered, why can we not find, if you can't find a church within driving distance of your home, the problem is not the church, it's you. You're the one that has the problem at some point. There is no perfect church. Stop leaving a three-star church to go search for a four-star church because they don't exist. We have problems at New Life Church. We're not perfect. We have hurt people. I have hurt people. I've made mistakes. But at some point, if you can't forgive someone for what they've done, that bitterness will drive you away from church. But even worse, it'll drive you away from the call of God on your life. And I believe the enemy wants to use that bitterness to keep you from doing ultimately what you're called to do. So the hurt isn't necessarily the church itself. Jesus is, is going to come back for a spotless bride. He's going to come back for a church that is without blemish. But there's no church on Dave Ward that doesn't have a blemish. It's just we've got to come to wholly into his presence sometimes and go, God, first of all, I need you to forgive me, and I need to know who I need to forgive. And I've got to leave it there and walk away from it. I don't have a better answer than that. It might not even be the right one. No, I love it. I like it. I didn't grow up in church, so sorry. My parents are from a different country. But it's awesome. Uh, this one day, they're going to love Jesus too. Can I get amen? Come on, somebody. Yeah. We're believing. I need your help. Okay. I like this one. How should you go about dealing with feeling that you aren't in a place in your own walk with God to help someone else or to lead someone else? Does that make sense? Yeah. So what if I, what if I flipped that and told you that I feel that way standing here right now? Mm-hmm. You're never going to get there. You're never going to feel like you have all. And actually, those kind of people scare me. The ones that feel like they're called to do it and they're, they have a right to or whatever, you earn it through relationship first. You don't earn it through position. So work on the relationship first. Pastor Rick says this all the time. Be real with everybody. Be transparent with a few. If you don't have a few people that you can be transparent and open with, you're, you're going to have a really hard time in life. But if you don't feel like you've got everything together, welcome to the club. I, I question it not just weekly. There, It's probably daily. I'm going... God, at some point, they're going to figure out that they've got the wrong guy for this, and they're going to kick me out. I just know it. I keep waiting for the pink slip, and it's not on my desk, so we're okay today. I feel like that constantly. It is just a struggle. But you've also got to know that the call of God on your life is what keeps you and holds you to something. You don't have to feel like you've got everything together. It's the call of God that keeps your feet. The calling is what keeps your feet in something when times are tough or when you don't have it all together. I just well, Let me say this. Every single one of you have a gift and a talent from God that he has uniquely given you. 
He's given every single one of you a gift. Some of you are called to ministry. Some of your ministry is actually in the business place, in the marketplace. It's out there that you're going to do more work, more incredible work out there than you could do inside the four walls of the church, and it's okay to do that. Just because you don't think you've got everything together doesn't mean that God can't use you. He might have wired you completely different. You just focus on your relationship with God and don't worry about what you don't know. If all you know is John 3.16, then you say that to somebody. If that's all you know, only give them what you've got. And if you feel like you're inadequate in it, then you've got to change the way you pray. First of all, get something from God for you and then pray and ask God for something to give that person. I promise you he will. Every time. We're way over on that one. Great. Yeah, it was a bonus round. Um, some of you are persistent, so you've texted the same question eight times. I eight love times. persistence. They're really yeah, excited about I this see one. it. Um, Neil, you've kind of talked about forgiveness in this one, but I think maybe this can help with your family, my family. It says, how do you forgive the people in your life that have abandoned you when they're supposed to be there for you your whole childhood? For example, fathers, uncles, aunts. Um, just kind of the feeling of abandonment. How, you know, family's a little different than friends, uh, people we come across, and I know that's not an easy one, but... Yeah, it, it may actually help you guys to know this, and yes, we're recording this, and maybe my family will never find it online, and we'll just hope that that's the case. Uh, I didn't have a great childhood growing up. My, I had loving parents, loving brothers and sisters, all that kind of stuff, but it was just a very unique situation, and there are times where I have felt like growing up, like I did not have the father that I dreamed about, that I wanted. My mother, whatever, my, I, I went through a it, was a... it was a blended family, to say the least, forgiveness is not just one time. You may have to forgive again and again and again. You may have to forgive every single day. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you. If you have to forgive somebody for the same thing that they have done over and over and over again, what it is is it is a choice that you have to make before you ever feel like it's actually taken effect in your life. So you are never going to feel your way into forgiving someone. So you make the choice to forgive them, and you make that choice repeatedly until the feeling and the presence of God comes and follows that. So here's what you got to understand. The attack and the lie of the enemy in that bombarding of your brain and your heart, that attack on your heart of this person wasn't there for me the way that they were supposed to. They may have physically abused you. They may have verbally abused you. They may have done things to you that are... They're just wrong. At some point, you do need to be able to forgive them, but it is not an easy thing, and that's okay. But you've got to get to that point where you can honestly forgive them. You may never have a chance to do it face-to-face. It's between you and God and that person. Forgive them, and if you have to forgive them again tomorrow, you do that. But that does not mean that you trust that person. You do not have to open your life up to that person again and say, you're welcome to come back into my life and hurt me again. Don't do that. Forgiving is not trusting. Forgiving is not saying that the slate has been wiped clean. Forgiving says, I'm going to put some healthy boundaries up. I forgive you for that, but this is, the, this is what it's going to have to be from here on out. I've had to, why am I still forgiving people in my own family for things that, that they've done for you? Because that's a constant attack. The enemy knows how to get to me. And so I, I just have to choose to do it over and over and over again. The Bible says very clearly, when Peter asked God, how many times should I, how many times should I, forgive. Should it be seven times? Just by asking, should I forgive seven times, says he doesn't understand the concept of it. In, in light of the cross, our willingness to forgive someone, in, in light of what Jesus did on the cross for us, that has to be the measure. And Jesus took everything and chooses to forgive us 
over and over and over again, and even so much that he's for, he, he knows the sins you're still going to do, yet he still chose on that cross to forgive you for sins when you and I weren't even walking around here. That's the example. In light of that, we go, all right, God, I'll take that example, and I'll just choose to forgive. I don't, I don't, that's all right. No, I like it. It's just different when it's a little bit family. I, I got this one. This is, um, I think this is kind of a, a talk of prayer, persistence, we're going to do this and three more questions. Three more. Clo- okay. the lightning three round is coming in. Are you all still good? Okay. I like this one a lot. How do you keep a good attitude and, and maybe even faith and maintain motivation when you're praying for someone or something for months or even years now and <laughs> still haven't seen a difference? Okay. Uh, if you were praying for them and you have not seen anything, uh, have you had a tough conversation with them? They have to know that you believe in them no matter what, and you're not going to give up on them. I have given up on people, and it's been a mistake. But at the same time, you have to tell them, until I see this happen, I'm never going to get to, we're never going to get to the next spot. So if you were praying for someone only and you've never had a conversation with them, I say make sure you have that conversation. Say, listen, I'm praying this for you. I want to see these changes. But I also want you to know I have your back no matter what. Let's talk about this again tomorrow. Let's talk about this again here. They have to know that the relationship is what you're concerned with. It's not them getting this one thing right. Now, the way we talk about it all the time, if someone makes a terrible mistake, I say if there's 1% of you, 1% in you that is willing to fight for this thing, I will fight and grace is there. But the minute you hold out on me and you don't tell me the truth, the minute I, I find out that you are not being truthful with me, grace is gone. And there it's truth, and you can have that hard, tough conversation with them. But it's dangerous. It's dangerous to just operate in truth. You've got to have a little bit of grace. But they have to know if they don't contribute to this at some point, you have to say, I'm going to continue to pray for you. I believe in you. But until you make these changes, I can't be in that world or whatever that is much longer. Follow-up question, personal. Would you say the same thing, Neil? This is just me. If it was like your parents. So it's something a little different. Or I have an older brother, and it's like I don't know if I would just call my dad. I would hope to say something, but it's like a different relationship. Yeah, honor is huge in that. It depends on who that person is. Uh, if it's your parent, I'm never going to talk to my dad that way. It's going to be a, a much more loving conversation, and I'm going to continue to pray. But at some point, I'm going to take more of my heart out instead of challenge. I can't challenge my dad that way, but I, I could challenge a sibling that way, or I could challenge somebody that mm. is a friend, but I'm not going to be able to. I'm going to have that honest moment where I'm going to take my heart out, but then I'm also going to put it back in. And then at some point, you have to protect your heart. It's very important that you don't just keep, you don't, you don't let that person hurt you repeatedly over and over and over again. Okay. We're going to go two more. Uh, I like this one a lot. How do you tell the, I like it because it's texted in 17 times. <laughs> I love you. Persistence. Oh, there it is. How do you tell the difference between God testing you when your life falls apart or if your life is falling apart because it's not of God, not of the will of God? Um, so maybe the, the difference in if I'm going through a trial, Neil, is this test something to refine me or is this because I'm not in the will of God and then it is a outcome of it. They literally texted that 17 times. Falling apart is a strong word, too. I like it. It is. Though. It's true. Um, if your life is falling apart because of decisions that you have made, you probably know that. Uh, God is not going to test you and give you something like sickness. He's not going to put you in a terrible situation. A lot of times what we do is we give God a black eye for a situation that we were in, when, when by all rights, it's us. you gotta, you got to kind of go backwards a little bit and say, how did I get in this situation in the first place? God, you may, let's say you made a terrible mistake and you are, your life is falling apart. 
there has to be some humility in it and say, God, listen, am I doing something wrong? And what you, what you do in that moment is you don't go to God and say, God, I think these are the things I'm doing wrong. You do what David did and you say, God, what am I doing wrong? Show me. Holy Spirit, my heart is open. I want you to show me what I'm doing wrong. What do I need to learn here in this time? Now, if it's because of things that you did, then it's, it is what it is. You learn from it and you move on. But if it if it's not, uh, I honestly don't think that God is just going to try and make your life fall apart. Now, I'm also not saying, there's this, uh, gosh, who is it? What's the, is it Tolkien? I think that's who wrote this. God is not safe, but he's good. God does not give you this safe, well-protected life. Did I get that right? Is that right? Who said that? I could be way off in that. C.S. Lewis. All right, my bad. Uh, God is not necessarily going to give you this safe, perfect, protected life. But he is going to make sure that his goodness is at work in your life no matter what. Be careful because we don't think that, that oil painting Jesus is going to make everything right every single time. God wants to challenge your butt off because he knows what you're capable of. And God only sees you through the blood of Jesus. He sees you at your potential. So he chooses to do that. Um, He's not going to make your life fall apart just for the sake of making it fall apart. If he's testing you for a while, it's going to be um, something you can learn from. But it's, he's, not, it's, he's not just going to make your life fall apart just to say, look, I'm going to mess with this person. I, I don't think that. It's great. It's great. And I, I'm going to pick this last one because I think it's just, uh, it's just heavy in our age group generation. Uh, and, Neil, I know you're really passionate about this. This is how do I know what my calling is? Very, I know that's a big statement for our generation. It's, it's, it's what we want to know, but it's just hard. It's not, maybe not that simple times. And the follow-up says, and when I do, how do I take the right steps in the direction uh, and to achieve my calling? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go, and then I'm going to tag teams. I haven't, I'm feeling it. You know what I'm saying? I want the ball. After you, though. Because you might say everything I'm thinking because you're really good at pastoring me. Well, you're calling your gift. They go hand in hand. Um, you, you can't walk around and say, listen, I'm called to be a singer on stage, and you can't sing. It's just not going to happen. Someone at some point needs to be a really good friend and tell you that you are a terrible singer, and you're absolutely not called to do that. It's going to be really obvious. Um, let's, let's think of it this way. When we commission and we pray for somebody because we know that they're operating in their calling, it's because their gift and their call line up, but a commissioning is just us literally putting the anointing of God on their lives. We're saying that this is, this is of God, that his hand is on it, that, that it is, you now get to walk in your calling. A lot of us are trying to figure out what our call really is. Um, are all of us called by God? I believe yes, but I think we're called to different things. And the, the tricky part is when our calling and our gifts don't line up. So I went to school for computer tech I was going to be a certified network administrator. We all know how much of that I'm doing right now. Student loans, none. None. Zero percent. Zero percent. None. Um, I believe God is going to give you opportunities throughout your life. He's going to put people in your path. And the only way that you're going to be able to figure out what you're calling is you're going to have to try things. You're going to have to try it, and you may have to fail at it. You may have to try something else, and you may have to fail. You may have to have the courage to actually get out there. Um, I did not know that I was going to be doing this. If you had told me that I was going to be pastoring at a church, I, we would have fought. We would have had a full-on, I would have thrown I would have laughed you. and cried. I would have thrown a punch. In there's one no way. motion. There's no way. No. There's, there's no way. But it's a process. Your call is a process. And if God were to ever show you what he's really called you to do, you'd crap your pants right now. And it would smell because there's a lot of can't. You cannot handle it. poop. A lot of poop. Listen, you can't handle 
the full, the full picture of what God has called you to do. So what he's going to do is he's going to give you glimpses of it. And if you're trying to figure out what that is because you're asking for the full picture of it, don't ask him for it. Please don't ask him for it. Just say, God, what do you want me to do right now? This is, I'll say this and I'll walk away. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of God. They are the steps. It's not the elevator. It's not the escalator. It's not the moving sidewalk. It's not the sprint. It is the steps of a righteous man are ordered of God. Take your next step. Worry about what that is. It will evolve over time, but God does have a call for you. And you be faithful where you're planted right now and stop asking God what's next. Learn what you're supposed to learn where you are, and that will get you ready for what is next. And there are years that I look back and I had regrets because I thought I wasn't supposed to be there. I thought, God, these years are a mistake. No. I'm going to say this. Can I, this, is, this is just practical. So we are, we're in Columbus. I'm putting my hand on his shoulder because I'm trying to quiet him down. That's not right. We were in Columbus, Ohio, and we were at a school, and when we got there, it was a church turnaround. It was a church turnaround. It was a Lutheran church, and this massive gymnasium. They sold a bunch of land. We built a building. We did all this extra stuff, and some of the hardest work I ever did was to change and completely overhaul a building, to take a gymnasium and turn it into an auditorium, and we did it, and it was extremely difficult. I learned how to wire. I learned how to do... I learned how to do it's insane the stuff that we had to get through. And I learned it. And it was so difficult that I thought I was doing the wrong thing. Fast forward to four years ago. We're heavily involved with the ark. And we're here. Pastor Rick sends me to help a church in Memphis. It's the Life Church of Memphis. They're great friends of ours. Brian Petrie, just out of the blue. He's a friend of mine at this church. He says, Neil, we are adding a campus at one of our places. We bought a building, but we have no idea how this thing is going to work. In fact, I don't know that we could even t- turn this building around. Would you drive to Memphis, hang out with our team for a little bit? I don't know why, but I feel like you could help us. I said, okay. And I walk into their building. I have, I've never been in this building before. And I walk into it, and it is inch by inch an exact duplicate of the building that I was at in Columbus before it got turned around. And I didn't even set foot in the building. I stood in the doorway, and I started laughing. And Brian goes, what, what are you doing? I said, yeah, we can, we can help you. I, I can tell you exactly what to do. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, give me a second. And I walked to the back of their stage. I stood up on a chair. I took a broom handle, and I pushed up the drop ceiling that was at the back. And I told him, I said, you've only got six inches above this drop ceiling because your, your roof is angled. And I know that you shouldn't put your stage here. You should put it at the other end. And he goes, what? And they go, come with me. And we did it and looked, and there's only six inches before the roof hit. And he saw that their, their ceiling was angled. And I said, you're going to want to take this out. I said, we can do all this. God is getting you ready for the next step. Stop asking him what the next step is. Just learn what you're supposed to learn where you are. He's prepping you for what's next. Your calling will freak you out. But you also have to know that God will equip you because he's called you. It goes in that order. He's called you first, but he's going to equip you. And you may never, ever, ever feel like you could do everything you're not supposed to. Because if you could do it all by yourself, you wouldn't need God. You've got to, you've got to hit your knees and pray like crazy and rely on him. And that's where humility comes into place. Yeah, and I'll just come in because I'm just a little bit older than y'all. Some of y'all in this room are older than me. And uh, same thing with Neil. I didn't think I was going to be a, a pastor. I got my master's in counseling. And so um, I'd say a couple things. One, Dr. Brandon O'Brien says this. I think he says everyone's calling. Uh, especially if you're a believer in Christ, there's always somewhere between the greatest commandment, loving God and loving people. And so I think sometimes if it's out of those two things, though that sounds very simple, it might not be your calling. And, I, and I, I'm learning the big difference in simple and easy. 
It might be simple to understand something, but it's definitely not easy. It's simple, the idea of finding out your calling and the process, and they'll talk about that. That makes sense in my head, but it's not easy, right? The second thing is this. I, I, me and a buddy were talking about this today at lunch. Scripture says in Psalms that the, the Word of God, uh, the Lord, Spirit of God, all these things are, are a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And I heard a pastor once say, and this has changed my life. It's one of those, you hear it and you're like, wow, that wasn't only good. It's just kind of rocked my world. A lamp, guys, isn't a spotlight, isn't these lights up here, isn't these stage lights. A lamp, you can see step one, two, or maybe three. And our calling to me sometimes is step 10. And our generation, just statistically speaking, over the decisions we make, not just believers, our generation, millennials, 18 to 31, we're known as the entitled generation. We want things now as we have. And it's just, it's just a statistic. I'm, I'm sorry. I feel that way at times. But So we want step 10, but we don't want to take steps one through nine. And I just feel like sometimes God is saying, when we say the process, we're not trying to devalue that question I was asked. That's an incredible question. But sometimes God wants you just to take step one because it is impossible to get to step five without taking one, two, three, and four. It is impossible. And I promise that when you take step one, two, and three, God will open a door or he'll direct you or a path will come, whatever metaphorically you want to say, and step four or five will come and you'll be like, what the stink is going on, God? But it never would have happened if you would have stood here and not made a move. And so sometimes, what are you passionate about your calling? Guys, I, I think I have a calling to help the hurting people of the world. That's what I felt like's on my heart. And I thought that was counseling. And I, and I thought I was doing that for a year, and then God called me to be the pastor of you guys. And I think I'm doing that now. And I have a huge heart for our age group, college students, young adults. I might be 60. I'm still going to have it. I just, that's my passion. But the big thing, our generation, I did this for years. Let me watch this. If you don't get anything else I say because I haven't said much, hey, our, our calling is not necessarily or almost rarely sometimes not our career. And in our generation, we want to tie those together. So when you're like Amir and you get out of grad school, if it's not the job I want, we think we failed. And if you're like me and you went to school for eight years, and, and I happened to get a master by the grace of God, but I went for eight years, and then I wasn't in the job. I, I, was, I actually had uh, a job for eight years. I wasn't licensed yet, so I was still working at Pizza for Two before Tacos for Life, and I was mopping the floor. And I'm not saying that to brag, but how many of y'all know when I had two degrees, and I'm making $8 an hour, and I'm crying to myself because I'm thinking, God, is this what you wanted for me? Is this my calling to mop floors? It's an incredible organization, but I didn't understand. And God the whole time was saying, I need you to take step one. I need you to be faithful. I need you to learn what to rely on. Because that semester, I, the craziest things happened. I, didn't, I only had that job, and I was doing a full-time internship at the UCA Counseling Center, and it's usually paid, but it wasn't paid. My mom stopped paying for stuff, and so I'm making $8.25. I'm making $120 for two weeks and trying to pay bills and try to pay for school, and I have student loans. And what did I learn that semester? To trust God more than ever. And I have an iPhone note of about 40 things where people would buy me food. Someone walked in that foyer, put a check in my pocket. This never happens to me. I have $120 says, I want you to get groceries. I've never seen the person in my life. Um, people would take me out. All these things. Why that season taught me to trust God. I thought I was failing. Why? Because I got in that situation because I failed the grad school test that allows you to go to your internship. And I failed and I didn't get to go. So all my friends graduated before me. Cool thing is I had a dream. I'm just, I know this is getting crazy, but I want to explain. I had a dream since I was a freshman at UCA to do my internship at the UCA Counseling Center. And if I would have passed the test and done it that semester, I wouldn't have got accepted into the Counseling Center. But because I failed the biggest failure of my life, God's a redeeming God. And I took the steps I was supposed to. I took my one, two, three, and four, five. And in six months, I passed that thing. And I got to do an internship in the Counseling Center. That wasn't paid, but I got to fulfill a dream. What? These are all in the process, what Neil's talking about, of getting to my calling. Now I wake up every day. And what I believe this is my calling for now, I, I still think I get to help hurting people get to talk about Christ and direct them because I was in your shoes at one day. We're all growing our walk with God. And I believe I'm in a part of my calling, but also that might change. And I happen to be a pastor that happens to be where, yes, my calling career kind of come together, but I have this huge heart for counseling. I'm doing zero counseling right now. But I got my master's in. You know how many times I stay up at night, guys? I'm like, God, I went to school for eight years. And I'm not using my master's at all. But God's just saying, hey, I need you to trust the process. I need you to trust me. I need you to just to take a step. I need you. And then I get to hear stories from you guys, and we get to have nights here, and people raise their hands and make decisions. And I smile, and I say, my bad, God, because this is where I'm supposed to be right now, and you're preparing for me for something in the future. 
And I know that doesn't give you, a, this is your calling, but what, is, what makes your heart beat? What is something in your life since you've been little, you've been dreaming about? What is something when you get around, you get fired about? What is something you can't shut up about with your best friends or your family or the people you love because you have a passion for it? And can we start taking steps toward that? And it might mean, yeah, we grind it out in school. Young adults, a lot of y'all heard the questions. I was like that. You might be in a job that you're like, I'm never going to be in this job. But God wants you in a place right now. We were praying for a guy in our ministry, moved here from Oklahoma, is cancer free. And he's like, I'm just looking for a job, looking for a job. And now he's in his third job in one year. And this is the job he's in love with. But it took two really hard jobs to get here. Why? Because he took step one and two and three and four. So I know that I'm so passionate about this. If you can't tell, the calling thing's important. We're not saying don't seek out. We're saying, hey, don't miss what God wants to teach you right now and next year and this next week and then next year and some of the hardest times or some of the best times. And then you're going to get to a chunk of your calling because we believe God's like a puzzle. He gives you pieces at a time. And then you're going to look back and say, wow, Lord, it was all worth it. And sometimes, guys, if you feel like you failed or you're challenged or you don't know you're making progress, I promise. I have a, I have a calendar on my watch. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. I'm looking at that. Today is November 19th. I want you to think about where you were November 19th, 2015, 14, one year ago. My bad. Just think about where you were a year ago. Anything, spiritually, relationally. Some of y'all weren't in the city. Some of y'all weren't in school. Some of y'all didn't have a job. Some of y'all are in a relationship. Some of y'all used to be in a relationship. Think of where you've been. Think of what God's done. And if it's been hard, think of just what you've learned. And those are feeding your calling. But just we're in the age group where God think God's saying, just take your time. Just pump the brakes. Just trust me. Because why? Because I want you to seek me with all your heart, and I want you to love people. And if you stay in these boundaries, I promise we're going to get to our calling. Does that make sense? And the words are a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And we believe that when we have biblical community like this and the other churches in Cutwa and the other churches in this state, we're going to figure out our calling together and we're going to change this world because that's what our generation has probably the most potential to do it. And we're inheriting what our parents and adults and pastors and whatever is business, but we're, in, we're that next generation that's about to take over in some of the craziest time of the world.